0: All right, so today we are in our final week of this series called Foundations, where we've been kind of talking through what we believe to be foundational for this church, Hill Country Bible Church Georgetown. And this morning we're going to wrap up our series by talking about four key things that we think everybody who is a part of our church ought to be involved in on a regular basis. These are things that are going to help you grow closer to God and closer to one another. And I'm excited about this morning because I get to distill everything that we do as a church. I'm talking about dozens of programs, environments, ministries, groups, etc., down to four biggies. We call these the core four. And there are plenty of good things that we can be doing as Christians, but these are the essentials. So if you have your outline, pull it out and write these down. The first biggie is our Sunday morning worship service. You know, believers have traditionally gathered on Sundays for worship. But have you ever stopped to think about why do we even do this? Right? Why invest the kind of time and energy and effort to meet each and every Sunday? With all the advancements in technology, why do we still encourage people to physically show up for church each and every week? Well, there are a bunch of reasons, but let's just camp out on a few right now. First of all, I would say this, when you come to church on Sunday, you should be asking the question, what does God have to say to me? What does God have to say to me? Because I found that quite often when I ask that question, God has something very specific to tell me. Makes me wonder, you know, what have I missed when I haven't been looking for that? Right, when I just come to church out of habit, not looking for anything specific, or when I miss church altogether, what did God wanna tell me that I didn't get to hear today? So first, what does God want to say to us? But then there's a whole other aspect of worship that has a huge impact on you as an individual and the church body as a whole. It's the singing. It's not just, okay, what does God want to say to me? It's what do I want to say to God? And I think a lot of times people, we kind of think of the singing or the worship time as sort of the warm up, the appetizer before the sermon. But it's way more than that. You know, most people don't realize this, but singing has a spiritual impact on us across the board horizontally, relationally with the body of Christ. If we look at Ephesians chapter 5, Paul encourages the church in Ephesus to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Be filled with the Spirit. How? Okay, through singing collectively to one another singing has a direct spiritual impact on all of us here in this room, okay? Through it, we get filled by the Spirit. We encourage each other as we praise God together. So you need to understand this. You're not just singing when you're singing on Sunday mornings for your own benefit. You're actually singing for the benefit of the people around you, no matter how good or bad your voice is, all right? I've heard some of your voices. I know that's hard to believe, okay? But God delights in that. You really do minister to the body of Christ, Second, singing has a spiritual impact on us vertically. Gives us the opportunity to thank God. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 19 to 20, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. God desires our worship. He is worthy of our worship. You know what happens? Singing enables us to connect with God in a special way. It's fascinating to me. In Psalm 22.3, we're told that God actually inhabits the praises of his people. Okay, the old King James Version says it best. Thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. God inhabits the praises of his people? What a cool concept that is. I mean, just to think about that, that God is present here in a special way. You know, in the Old Testament, they would occasionally get a glimpse of God's presence through what was known as the Shekinah glory. Okay, God is omnipresent. We know he's everywhere all the time. But the Bible says at times his localized presence is stronger. And that's especially true when his children come together corporately to worship him. And folks, that's an experience you can't get listening to a message online or or singing in your bedroom, right? Corporate worship. Worship is a corporate Thing. You know, it's the one place where we communicate a message to the whole church body, something the church needs to respond to and embrace collectively. If you miss that, you miss being in sync with what the Holy Spirit is doing here in the body of Christ. So I would say when you come in these doors on Sunday morning, you should anticipate that God's power, God's presence is going to be alive and active in a special way. I mean, there should be a movement away from the mundaneness of everyday life, a sense of, man, God. Is going to be present. This is going to be special. This is going to be unique. God is going to inhabit the praises of his people. Now, I would say the reality is this. We become pretty casual these days, myself included, right? We kind of have a casual attitude toward worship. And I think sometimes we come in and our mindset may be a bit askew. Right? We figure, eh, you know what, I'm a few minutes late. I miss a couple songs. No big deal. And I understand that sometimes things happen beyond our control, right? Kids or grandkids get sick. Your kid may surprise you with a loaded diaper on the way to church. Right? Your wife may surprise you with a loaded mouth. I don't know. I'm sure none of you guys argue with your spouse on Sunday mornings, do you? Now, Satan works overtime to try to distract us. So when we come in here, our hearts are not prepared. But let me tell you, if coming in late and distracted becomes a norm, you might want to rethink your whole approach. I would encourage you, think think of worship as like a set weekly appointment with God. Put it in your phone, your daytime, or whatever your daily routine is. Think about this. God is waiting here. God is present. He wants to convict you, encourage you, comfort you, speak to you personally if you show up with an open heart. Now, sometimes people will say to me, Brian, I believe every ounce of what you're saying, but man, I just struggle staying focused during worship. And I am ADD, ADHD, P. right? God wired me this way. My neurons are firing a million miles a minute. It's hard for me to concentrate and focus during worship. Well, let me pass along a suggestion I received years ago. I would encourage you, if that's you, pick a place in this room. Okay, anywhere is fine. Be on the stage, over in the corner, up in the air. And in your mind, put Jesus in that place. And then ask the question, how would I talk to Jesus? How would I sing to Jesus if he was physically there? See, by faith, we can do that because we know he is here. And maybe you come to worship on Sunday morning, and you're bringing someone who doesn't know Christ. Let me tell you, both the worship, the singing part, and the teaching can minister to them. The worship can be inspiring and the teaching can be helpful and applicable because all truth is God's truth. And we wanna challenge everyone who walks through our doors on Sunday morning every person that comes through to take some kind of a next step in their spiritual journey. So God is present in a unique way on Sunday mornings. Corporate worship, I'm telling you, it's special. That's why Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. So Sunday worship, first biggie. Let's move on to the second one. It's being a part of a small group. You know, the hallmark of Christianity is love. Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Jesus said that people will know we are Christians by our love. And the biblical term for believers being devoted to one another in love is the term fellowship. It comes from a Greek word koinonia. means sharing. I mean, fellowship in its truest sense is a heart-to-heart, soul-to-soul connection, a sharing of your life with someone. And sadly, I think a lot of people or most people maybe even on this earth have never experienced real fellowship, a real sharing, a spiritual connection with somebody. And they may have experienced an emotional connection, a sexual connection, an intellectual connection, but few people have experienced a heart-to-heart, soul-to-soul fellowship connection. And the way to make that connection, according to Romans 12.10, is what? Be devoted. Be devoted to a few brothers, a few sisters in Christ. You say, well, what does biblical devotion look like? Good question. If you look at the early church described in the book of Acts, you know what they did? They met together regularly in their homes. And the Bible gives us a beautiful picture of what biblical devotion looks like. I'll give you just a few examples here. They offered hospitality to one another. They encouraged one another. They instructed each other. Christians admonished one another. They carried each other's burdens. They confessed to each other, prayed for each other. They took the time to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And people, those are just a handful of the many ways the New Testament says we should be ministering to one another. There are actually 39, count them, 39 one another commands in the New Testament. And they are best practiced in the context of a small group of believers. Think about it. That was Jesus's model. He spent most of his time with a band of brothers, 12 apostles. It was the model of the early church as they met together from house to house. And it's our model here at Hill Country as we gather together in our small groups. In his book, Waking the Dead, John Eldridge gave the following insight into the power of small group companionship. Listen to this. He says, when he left Rivendell, Frodo didn't head out with a thousand elves. He had eight companions. Jesus didn't march around backed by hundreds of followers either. He had 12 men, knuckleheads, every last one of them, but they were a band of brothers. This is the way of the kingdom of God. Though we are a part of a great company, we are meant to live in little platoons. The little companies we form must be small enough for each of the members to know one another as friends and allies. Most of the one another commands in the New Testament can't be applied in the context of a large worship service like this, or even a classroom full of people. I mean, think about it. How many people can you realistically be devoted to? Right? The Bible calls us to carry each other's burdens. Nobody can do that for 30 people. The Lord also knows we're not going to typically confess our struggles to like an entire congregation, but he tells us, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other. Most of the New Testament one another commands are best practiced amongst a handful of close friends. Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, being devoted to someone means you're close to them. And notice God says, a man of many companions may come to ruin. That means socializing can actually keep you from having deeper relationships. You can be so busy networking, so busy making acquaintances that you'd never invest the time, the energy, the effort it takes to build a real life-changing relationship with someone. You don't need a lot of friends to make it in this world, but you do need a few good friends. God says, focus on quality, not quantity. Casual acquaintances, they're not gonna be there in times of crisis when you really need them, but close friends will. And so we've designed our small groups around here to foster deep, meaningful, biblical relationships. It's why a lot of them meet weekly so that you're involved in each other's lives on a regular basis. It's why the men and women will oftentimes meet separately so that they can grow deeper, closer to each other, share some more personal things with each other. It's why we tend to keep them small, to build trust that creates intimacy and sharing. In fact, experts say that if you get more than 12 people in a small group, a majority of them will shut down when it comes to sharing. And besides that, you just won't have the time for everybody to really be able to go deep. Now, does this take a commitment on your part? Absolutely. Absolutely it does but anything worthwhile takes devotion. And Romans tells us, be devoted to one another. You know, I've been a part of a lot of different groups, small groups over the years, and some have been a little more shallow, some have been a little bit deeper. But we've chosen, especially relationally, to go deep in our small groups. You say, well, what exactly does that look like? What does a shallow group versus a deep group look like? Check this out.
1: Are you tired of small groups always getting into your business? Trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins? Are you just looking for a place to kick it, network, maybe get some free grub? Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems? You deal with them. You're an adult, life ain't easy, so stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really wanna do life together. Frankly, it's Shallow Small Group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term, unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. And you'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. And spiritual growth, who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. It wasn't pleasant. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh, hey man, how's it going? That's cool, yeah. Hey, Chief.
0: Oh, dude. Captain, what's going on? We know you have
1: a name, and that's the important thing. Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, you and your wife are struggling financially? There's tension in the relationship? Uh, That's not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague wants cake. <laughs> Come on, get it. And there will never ever be an awkward silence. That's our guarantee to you. We hate bad theology as much as the next guy, and we know the surest way to prevent bad theology is to avoid theology altogether. And outreach? This is the only outreach you'll ever have to do. Some people say we're superficial. But hey, the word super isn't superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group. Because when things get too deep, people drown. (laughs) Won't you join us? All
0: right, just to clarify, that is not our small group model, okay? Don't walk out of here going, man, I love this church. Shallow small groups. Now, we're about life change here. Go deep or go home. That's going to take a commitment on our part, no doubt about it. But that's essential, people. If we're going to practice biblical Christianity, if we're going to do these one another's in the New Testament, we need to do that. And that's why it's the second big thing that we encourage everyone to be a part of. Be involved in community with other Christians. So Sunday morning worship, small groups. Next, you need to find a place to serve. People, you were created to serve. Do you know that? Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Jesus Christ to do good works. Okay, that's ministry, that's service. Created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, God says to all believers, I created you for ministry. I created you to serve. You ever look for a flashlight and when you finally found one, you tried to turn it on, it didn't work. Anybody here? Yeah, I have. And the reason it didn't work is because I hadn't used it in a long time. Because when I opened it up, I noticed the batteries were all corroded, leaked all over the place. Not only were the batteries ruined, but the flashlight itself was ruined. Why? Because batteries are made to be used. And if batteries just sit around for a long time, they corrode. In the same way, Christians are made for service. And if we're not busy serving other people, we kind of get corroded, we get ruined on the inside. God says you were created to serve. You're also gifted to serve. God has given each of us certain gifts and abilities, and he didn't give you those talents just to spend on yourself, retire, and die. No, he gave you those abilities to help other people. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve himself, right? Is that what it says? Now, each of you should use whatever gift he has received to make a whole bunch of money. Now it says each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, God gave you those abilities to serve people. You're created to serve. You're gifted to serve. People, you are needed to serve. Your service is necessary. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 tells us, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. If you are a part of the body of Christ, the family of God, you're needed. I mean, think about what happens in your life if one part of your body stops functioning. I mean, you can get sick, you can even die if a part of your body just stops functioning. Well, if you're a Christian, you are a part of the body of Christ. And if you're not functioning, you can make the rest of the body weak and sick. It makes for an unhealthy body. You're created to serve, you're gifted to serve, you're needed to serve. And finally, you'll be rewarded for your service. People, you will be rewarded for your service. You know, one day God is gonna ask all of us the question, what did you do with what I gave you? those gifts, those talents, those abilities? Did you use them to serve other people? What did you do with what I gave you? 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is talking specifically to believers. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him or her for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now hear me on this. The purpose of this judgment is not to nitpick our sins, right? If we're Christians, we know those sins have been paid for. They've been washed away by the blood of Jesus. The purpose is to receive something, a reward. God reminds us here that there are some cool blessings in store for those who are faithful. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out on that, right? I don't want to stand before Jesus one day and say, sorry, God, I was kind of busy. I mean, I had some plans and goals for my life that I thought would be really cool. I really didn't have the time to get in on your plan. I I was too busy to have a ministry. No, because I know what God would say to me. He would say to me, what were you thinking, Brian? Hello? I mean, you think I just put you on this earth just to live for yourself? Of course not. In fact, the the real joy and purpose I have for your life was found in serving others, but you missed it, right? I don't want to hear that. See, the judgment seat of Christ can be this incredible, joyous time of receiving all these great rewards and commendation from Jesus, but it won't be all roses for some Christians. It says both the good and the bad will be examined. And folks, it won't affect our eternal home, all right, where we spend eternity. For all believers, that'll be heaven. But it will affect our eternal rewards, which is how we spend the rest of eternity. Your faithfulness here will pay dividends for all eternity. And one of the rewards in heaven, we're told in the Bible for being faithful here on earth is greater responsibility. Look at Matthew 25. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Those are the words I wanna hear. And that's why serving in any way, shape or form, I mean, inside, outside the church, using the gifts God gave you to further his purposes here on earth is essential. One of the biggies we encourage everyone to be a part of. All right, now we're down to the last one. And here we call this invest and invite. Okay, this is where you go out and you invest in people who don't know Jesus and you simply invite them to check them out. Right now, that can be through sharing the gospel with them, inviting them to trust in Jesus. Chuck talked about that last Sunday. Or, Or maybe just inviting them to church to hear more about Jesus through the preaching, starting point class. You see, before Jesus ascended to heaven, he he had some words for his church, for his people. He said things like this, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. In Romans 10, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? That's, we're the body of Christ. We're the visual expression of Christ here on earth. Now, I want to leave you this morning with a kind of visual, all right? This picture right here was taken at the Washington, D.C. metro station on a cold January morning. Now, I want you to check out the story surrounding this. The man with the violin here played six Bach pieces for about an hour, And during that time, approximately 2,000 people went through the station, most of them on their way to work. After three minutes, a middle-aged man noticed there was a musician playing. He slowed his pace and stopped for a few seconds and then hurried to meet his schedule. Four minutes later, the violinist received his first dollar. A woman threw the money in the hat and without stopping, continued to walk. Six minutes later, a young man leaned against the wall to listen to him, then looked at his watch and started to walk again. Ten minutes later, a three-year-old boy stopped, but his mother tugged him along hurriedly. The kid stopped to look at the violinist again, but the mother pushed hard and the child continued to walk, turning his head all the time. This action was repeated by several other children, but every parent without exception forced their children to move on quickly. At the 45-minute mark, the musician played continuously. Only six people stopped and listened for a short while. About 20 gave money, but continued to walk at their normal pace. The man collected a total of $32. At the one hour mark, he finished playing and silence took over. No one noticed, no one applauded, nor was there any recognition. No one knew this, but the violinist was Joshua Bell, one of the greatest musicians in the world. He played one of the most intricate pieces of music ever written with a violin worth over 3.5 million dollars. 2 days before, Joshua Bell sold out a theater in Boston where the average seat was 100 bucks, $100. This is a true story. Joshua Bell playing incognito in the metro station was organized by the Washington Post as a part of a social experiment about perception, taste and people's priorities. The question raised was this, if we don't stop to listen to one of the best musicians of the world playing some of the finest music ever written with one of the most beautiful instruments ever made, how many other things in life are we missing? Hmm. You know, I got to thinking about this little social experiment here, and the thought struck me, this is kind of the way it is with God working in this world. You know, God, he is busy playing this beautiful music, wanting to get people's attention but are the people who need to hear it even listening? Do they even know that he's playing in and through your life or here in our church? 2 Corinthians 5.20 says it best, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's you and I. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Folks, we are Christ's ambassadors. All right, so those are the core four. Sunday morning worship, small group community, finding a place to serve God, and investing in people who don't know Jesus. And we don't expect everybody to get involved in all four of these overnight, all right? But we just encourage you to start somewhere. If you're doing one, step up to two. If you're involved in two, step up to three. If you're doing three out of the four, take that final step. You know, spiritual maturity is a process. And we can't think of a better way to get there than being involved in these four activities. Let's pray. Lord, so many things that you have written for us in your word. And there are great things that we can and should be doing in life. But these four just keep coming up again and again and again as priorities. And it's just difficult. It's difficult to live the life you want us to live, if we leave out any of these. God, if we miss out on what you're doing here corporately on Sunday mornings, we miss what you may have to say to us. We miss the opportunity not only to hear from you, but also to praise you, to bless the people around us, to minister to them through our singing, and to experience what you're doing collectively in the body of Christ. To experience things like the Reinders family and and how to pray for them and support them and the joy of their daughters being baptized. And God, we know that there's so many one another commands in the New Testament that are just impossible to carry out unless we have some tight relationships with other believers. And God, you have gifted us, you've given us talents and abilities and you've said very clearly they're not just for you. They're to bless other people, go and serve. And then finally, Lord, we have the calling to reach out. Because if we don't, who's going to do it? We need to befriend people who don't know you and just at least invite them to take a next step spiritually. So God, I thank you that wherever we are in our spiritual journey, you love us and you are well pleased with us as your children. But God, we also know that you spur us on to say "You you can do this and that you want to bless us with eternal rewards for faithfulness here. So, God, I pray that wherever we are, we would just take a next step forward. If there's one of these areas that we're just not fully engaged in, that we would begin to do that. So that when we stand before you one day, we would just hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's in Jesus' name.